The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Metagamers Anonymous, a program dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and mostly related material in a presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. My name is Eric. I'm Jason. I'm Rich. And I'm Vanessa. Hi. He's a kid. And we're here today to talk about something, breaking the ice. We're going to talk a little bit about conversational elements uh, in the game and uh, how, how to make really brief, immersive RP moments I out of it. I was hoping you were talking about literally breaking the ice. Breaking like, the Yeah, that too. Arctic. Um, that's, yes. No, no, I don't think so. Not yet. Climate um, really, change isn't that bad. I had an awesome. <laughs> Not yet. Ar- I had an awesome Arctic uh, setting that I really never got to explore. But that's fair. I, I'm, I'm not telling you you shouldn't, and not maybe in this game. I hope, kind of. But uh, no, I, mean, no, I just found the plastic hammer annoying, and the penguin bounces around too much. Now I do know that we have struggled a little bit with kind of topics lately, and I, so I kind of I have a question I'm going to propose here, and so I'm going to ask you guys to do a little bit engaging the brain, oh, not, wait, not that proposal, uh, engaging the brain. You know, so we'll get to that in a second. Uh, one one thing that's happened that um, I'm I'm super excited to be able to talk about a little bit is with, with some intelligence is we've started playing with Level Up a little bit. And this group, are, which we, we game together on Sundays after we do our podcasting, uh, it's, it's, at this point, it's the five of us and Jonica, right? They're doing it? Yeah. Right. Yes. I so, right. I mean, we, we're actually playing with the new Level Up rules for me and publishing the Advanced 5e rules and, and kind of exploring what that gives us. And, I, you know, um, Rich suggests we talk about that a little bit today. I'm sure we'll be talking about that off and on through uh, several episodes. I don't necessarily, unless unless we decide that we have something we really want to kind of start taking apart or we, we feel like we have mastery enough of it, we want to take it apart and really talk about it on the show. I, I don't think we're there yet, <laughs> obviously. Uh, we had one session, but we got some stuff to talk about, so we'll get right to that. Uh, let's see. Uh, here, here's the premise uh, I'm going to present to you guys. So uh, thinking caps on. That's an ugly thinking cap, kid. While the advent of role-playing has come to encompass a diverse group of ideas, immersion can still be described as a persistent and shareable sense uh, with common characteristics, I believe. We can, we can agree that when we find something immersive, it has qualities that we can talk about in common. And uh, although they may come from different places... I, I think you know whether or not it is or isn't, and it's not really something that probably is the same for everybody all the time. But the, I think we have the same sensations that go with it. So it, it's kind of what, what drove the podcast in the first place, kind of getting started talking about immersive role-playing and how to create, um, how to emphasize the elements of the role-playing experience that we felt added to that. And so I, I kind of at a place, finally, I think now, uh, 47 years later, where I'd like to revisit a little of that and with a couple of questions. And here's kind of where I wanted to start with today. What are the most vital elements of the role-playing experience for creating immersion? Because I feel like the as I look at the internet today and the hobby has become just huge. I mean, so. such a fucking diverse platform of players out there with so many different ideas of what the role-playing experience is, I think. You know, they're going to have different definitions of it. We in this room likely have some different definitions of it, despite having the ability to come together and game together and get the experience that at some level we want. You know, so how is that going to vary? What are the most vital elements of the role-playing experience for creating immersion? And uh, 
I, I want to kind of follow up with that, uh, whether or not the, these immersive qualities enhance or disrupt the gaming experience overall, because I think that's an important and interesting question as well. Now, I just want you guys want you to cogitate on that a little bit whilst I make you think of other things, because we're going to come back to that a little later in the show. You, you do <laughs> you're know gonna, I you're can't You're going to make me think and then right? ask me other things? Come you on, man. could have been taking notes. I'm just saying. I forgot the notepad. It's in his hat. That would explain a lot. Uh, let's come back to it, though, just a little bit. I'm going to forget quit what my dogging on this hat. This is my favorite hat. It's I like the so bell storage space. Rich, you had an idea for how we can approach this this question about uh, character creation with Level Up. One of the things that I, I glommed onto when I first got into Level Up is love the word glom. There Fucking are good. so many. I, I know a lot it. of words. I noticed that there are so many little options, and like right from the get go, it's like, hey. You know where you normally just build a class race combination? Uh, here's the five things we need you to put together to make that happen. Instead of that, um, yeah. <laughs> And then the class still has all the additional caveats of the class. And I like that. But then this took me back to why did I enjoy playing Pathfinder in the first place? Mm-hmm. I enjoyed Pathfinder... Because when I started playing Pathfinder, I had just come off of a hiatus where I had stopped gaming and started again. And I missed the whole 3E. Advanced uh, Player Guide was already out for Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. And there were all these new classes with these new options and new abilities that didn't match up with the old classes. And there were new things that made me be able to create new characters and you know i love new characters like, and the apg had all the like like uh, backgrounds and stuff is like a little yeah. like the unbreakable thing we did for brick i think came out of that backgrounds book. or yeah. traits and stuff and, so and, it's funny story because we didn't get into pathfinder originally we were playing three five and when pathfinder came out in 0809 i wasn't wanting to change i liked three five the way it was and the things that i had already done to my game system were kind of parallel to the kinds of changes they were making in pathfinder anyway the home the other house rule stuff i'd been doing so it's kind of like well this is fine we're just going to keep doing this at some point we're like well we run a podcast we have a chance to start a new campaign there's a write-up of the war of the burning sky for pathfinder maybe this is a great opportunity to actually explore that game system right a little bit so uh was it was it War of the Burning Sky? And so we went ahead and... Uh, I thought it was... Oh, no, was it? No, that, they had a fourth edition version. That's what it was. Okay. Pathfinder was for Zeitgeist, wasn't it? Pathfinder Zeitgeist. was for Zeitgeist. I know it was done for Zeitgeist. For guys so long ago. So, yeah, when we started Zeitgeist, um, which was the Zeitgeist Gears of Adventure, or Gears of Revolution Adventure Path from Ian Publishing. Yeah, interestingly enough, since we talk about uh, uh, Level Up. The uh, Zeitgeist Adventure Path was written for, at the time, uh, fourth edition and Pathfinder. And so we we decided let's go ahead and I mean I could have just done it with three five with the Pathfinder you know it wouldn't it wasn't a huge enough difference it, I could have yeah, done conversions it's easy on the fly to translate but I, I was like let's go ahead and actually play Pathfinder so that we could talk about it intelligently on the show you know why not it's not like it's a huge shift for us anyway right. and we got our hands on the books and I, it was so good and one of our listeners immediately sent us a copy of the APG like bought on Amazon and had it sent to my address. So I could so I could check it out and we could use that material. It's great because the whole idea That's of the awesome. oracle gave me a completely different yes. way to create a character who had some drawbacks that had good payoffs and gave me things that I could role play into, and I love that. But it's a lot more crunchy of a system than I enjoyed. But I did love all the options. 
Well, you, you said you came off a hiatus. Before the hiatus, were you mostly just playing like uh, second, second edition? edition? I never got into third or fourth. What about other? I mean, were you, had you played Crunchier game systems prior to that, or was it? Oh, I mean, I played different. I mean, I played different. I mean, it's like I I played a whole bunch of stuff in their early back, 90s, back in the early nineties, and I uh, I was I guess all over the map. Crunchier systems back then were very much kind of your old standards, right? Like Burps, <laughs> Rollmaster, uh, Shadowrun, um, and. But they were there. They were there. Um, Merp. I enjoyed that. But uh, that's uh, my friends played so much GURPS. They had all the supplements. And I just got annoyed. But mind you, my biggest biggest issue with GURPS always was half-point skills. But that's a whole other story. That's a math thing. (laughs) The point system is always interesting to me, too. Hero system was cool. But, I mean, building a character in a hero system took uh, seven years, and you had to use a graphing calculator to play the game. Pretty much. So, other than that, though, it was... I like graphing calculators. But I can use them to manipulate so many things. We did, too. We were, <laughs> we were young geeks. This was brilliant, you know? You when know, I went back... At that point in my life, I could actually do that math in my head. When I went back to 5e... He was my graphing calculator. What I, what I realized was I, I felt constricted... Because all of a sudden, here I was, you know, GURPS had hybrid classes, and I was going down here to something that had, like, what, seven, nine classes total? Yeah. Um, you, you meant Pathfinder. You said GURPS. You meant Pathfinder had... That's what yeah. I meant. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. I was making so sure I was talking about the same GURPS is still in my head. But um, yeah, Pathfinder had all those yeah. options. And then and then I go back to 5e, and it's only got these and its subclasses, um, which I actually have gotten to appreciate more, and they've increased the number Ooh, of subclasses yeah. a lot and have shown me how much power there is in there. I still haven't found a good Oracle build. There are several out there, but I haven't found one I've liked that but it holds the essence of it. So I, to me, oh, well, yeah, that's not the point of the show, is it? I said, to no. me, I, I don't have a problem building that stuff, though, uh, because I, I, don't, I don't necessarily want to house rule my game to hell and back anymore, but I, sensible rules that give us options that, that, that work are fun to me. The well, Oracle as a concept was one that you could just make it one or two major changes to an existing class and get there. And get and there. There's a difference between rules and content. Yes. I mean, I don't feel like there should be a cap on how much content the game can hold, but there definitely need to be hard boundaries on expanding rules. Yes. Like but that. the point was, I'm sitting here creating these characters, and I'm going back to just playing D&D characters, and I think I was using the systems, you know, these are the options to create my character persona, which is what I'm going to then role play. And so now I'm looking at level up again, and there's there's a lot of rules improvements I'm really appreciating, um, mm-hmm. and I love some of the things they did. I'm still wrapping my head around them, and I've done a lot of head wrapping on this. But the more options start bringing me back to, okay, I really can just create any concept I want, and then I just need to figure out how best to fit it in here. And I mean, you start with the mm-hmm. adept, which is how they renamed the monk because it's not just monks. Right. It's any martial combatist. Right. And they've got, you can build a straight monk using the same system if you pick the right options. Sure. But there's a lot of other options there. But one of the things Level Up adds is combat maneuvers. About half of the classes use combat maneuvers. It's the same system. They have access to different parts of it. It's basically mm-hmm. spellcasting for combat. It feels a little like it, yeah. Not as not as heavy. Combat but maneuvers mm-hmm. use exertion. Another subsystem, yeah. So exertion is this system where you, you have so much points you could spend to do your combat. The Ooh. adept 
uses exertion for their skills, and they have a way to actually increase their exertion pool so they can use it for both their monk powers. They use it for their key. And use it for their... And it even not only says use it for your key, but it actually says some systems call it this, this, this. It's got a whole list of things that mean that basically the same thing as key. And just by having that list there, I'm like, I could make a character more like this, or I can make this, or I can make this. I'm looking forward to making an adept in the future. It's interesting to me because I think the way you approach it is actually... There's probably a lot of people that do. That they'll look at a system and think, this gives me options that give me ideas. Right. You know, and I've always approached characters the other way. So I get frustrated by systems that block ideas. And that, that's. And so so some people look at me and go, that's why I like more robust systems that give you more options. And I'm sitting here going, I like 5e because it's not stopping me from doing anything. But it's again, by the same token, when, uh, when Jonica was working on flocks, I built a subclass for her for investigator. I built I've, I've built art types for characters and stuff. I mean, I realize when I'm the game master, I have that op- that option. But it's not hard to use a framework that's there to do the things to make it happen. Right, it's exactly easy. because it's the difference between going into a menu uh, into a restaurant where you can only order what's on the menu. That's what you get, no changes. And going into a restaurant where they have some items on the menu there, but they literally expect you to order what you want. They'll just make it. Where's that restaurant? I could stand, Subway. I could stand that restaurant. That's a good example. Actually, Subway is a very good example. It's a very good example because Subway, you could just put it together however you a want. A place that, especially a as place like that. A sandwich. Right. Actually, or right. a salad. Or a salad. They have salads. But they, but he's or right. a wrap. It's the same thing, right? Or you a have a specific Subway. construct Subway to work inside of. Because you have meat, oh. cheeses, and, and breads. And you have all these different things, and then you get all these things you can throw on top of it. So that's a that's a really fun metaphor. Right there. Chipotle, kind of the same thing. Chipotle, you know, same feel. Yep. Same thing. Big tacos or burritos, but you could do them, you know, several different ways. I like it, but as you opposed want to Chipotle. Like, you know, Golden Corral, which everything that they have there is the way it is, but you can pick and choose whatever you want. It's a complete point-based system with no guidelines, right? You, ha- you can have whatever you want as long as it's something they're providing. As long as it's on the menu, as long as it's one right. of the options. But going back to the one of the biggest changes in Level Up, we've got this the whole heritage background. Um, what's the other piece? Culture. Heritage, heritage culture, culture, background. Background, and Backgrounds are, are similar to what destiny. they were. Yep. And I'll be happy when I get a copy of the PDF where the acolyte background is under the word background instead of above it in the previous section. I think section. they just had an update. <laughs> I probably need to download that. Uh, <laughs> if that's my biggest problem with the system, I'm good to go. Um, <laughs> one thing's off in the table of contents. Wait, is is that your biggest problem with the system? Yes. Okay. So far? So far. I'm, I'm actually here's, really enjoying how it fits I was saying, Here's something to consider because what he's talking about really kind of comes down to character creation and imagining what you can do with it. We haven't got to play it much yet. Right. So we haven't seen it in action and we've only made first level characters. But so, and the, but there the was whole a lot involved do, to make a fucking first level character. One of the other limiting factors that always drove me nuts is now, I've done a little bit more than I. That I yes. get that we are humans, and I get the game system is human based, storyline and otherwise, and whatever. But that's not how the world works. And I love the fact that your races here, specifically, it's not human, other race, or cross human and other race. Right. It's human, other race. Other races. Or a mix other of other races. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which we, can be human or not. And we played with that a little bit. You we, know, the rules interesting. Some of the systems. I'm not sure it's great, but it's interesting. 
It, it has some interesting ways, but the I thing is... haven't decided it's not great yet. The rules that engage on how to do that, it's like just because you have a human with an elf trait, that does make you a half-elf, yes. But what makes you a half-elf is because you say, I'm a half-elf. In fact, mm-hmm. my character is a half-elf, and I ended up not taking any human traits. Right. And I'm an elf on paper. You don't need to. I didn't I didn't plan to do it that way. I didn't want right. to do it that way, but when You're I looked over in the world. The options for the characters, I just my there's, character concept, I needed what they offered for the elf. And there's nothing that says that when a human and an elf get together that they won't have a child that comes out basically genetically elfish, more yeah. elf than human. That, that weighs heavily on one bloodline or another. And more to the point, you don't have to be a half elf. You can be a five seventeenth elf. You can be right. A well, three hundred ninety-nine. Yeah. Really it's all on paper. But I mean, like uh, Jason and I are playing siblings, uh-huh. and we're both half elves, same parents. And he's got more human traits, and he's got more do. human traits. Mm-hmm. You went the more the route we were originally both looking at, which was you pick one of the two races that they give you, and then you take a trait, a gift, as they call them, from the other. And that's uh-huh. a clear way to make it more obvious. And that worked out real well for you because you got some of those base human traits that make him feel very different than me, but you got a really cool elven gift in it that made the character more interesting. Right. But the system provides a way to allow that creativity in bringing things together. And I, I like that idea right from the get-go because I'm like, okay, it's not which race on the menu am I, it's... What do I want to put together to make my make my background? Who are my parents? How did I make this happen? And and I think that encourages that role playability. And I think some game systems are better at that than others. Um, does, and that's where Pathfinder was always weird because it gave me a lot of options, but it also came with a lot of baggage because it was crunchy AF, and I I just I felt bogged down in it. So here's an interesting question because I know, I mean, the reason we wanted to bring this up is because how much you like what the options are giving us. I do, Uh, although there is a lot of crunch in the expertise dice, but I think I'll get okay with it. I know that you enjoy this element of character creation at this point. What about, say, uh, Jason or Vanessa, who don't necessarily usually get bogged down in the minutiae and details of character creation, (laughs) just want to be able to get a character made? To the point of playability. It took me a lot of days to get a level up character built because I I couldn't wrap up the entire thing all at once in a single concept. I had to think on it and decide what I wanted to do for my concept. Well, and you're not a long. Um, well, you play D and D quite a bit, but you're. It's not your like soul. <laughs> well, okay. I keep wanting to say you're not a long-time D&D player. You're not a long-time 5e player. Not long-time 5e. Right. You, you have for the past year been playing with us. And I was but. given the impression that you didn't play a lot of casters previously. No, oh, not, not before the last like because two years. I had to simultaneously explain to her not only how magic works in this system, but I had to explain to her how spell slots worked in period in general, which was a fun 15-minute conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I tend not to play casters because it gets crunchy way too easy. So how'd you feel about writing this character up? I mean, how do you like, do you like her at this point? I, yeah, so far. So far. <laughs> it and took you, me four days to write up the character and figure out what I was doing, but yeah, I got it. And that, and that's the thing, right? Is, is it's not just that it's, uh, okay, so they're the premise that they were looking for when they were developing level up was not about making the game more complicated. It was about adding depth. Making and giving you does. more options. My and biggest problem is it was taking a lot of attention span, and I don't have a lot of that to begin with. Sure, I will say <laughs> all the crunch that was added was not to add crunch; it was to add 
um, it was to add a way to add a little bit of an option and create some flavor without having things become overpowered or ignored. I'm not used to all of that being up front, though. I'm used to building that as I build yes. the character. There's Having it re- all front-loaded was so crazy for yeah. me. There's going to be a ton of that as you continue to build yeah. the character. What you though, saw too. in character creation. It's in there, too. Yeah. It will continue to grow because your expertise dice, <laughs> when they add up, they we start stepping up dice. She has the X's over her eyes like the eagle from the movie we just talked about. <laughs> I'll be, Exposition uh, Street. I'll be honest. Character creation is my least favorite part of role play. Typically. Typically speaking. Yeah. And this did not help matters. It was so daunting. <laughs> How did you feel about the options you were given, though? Do you, you like where you, you like the character you built? I mean... I, I think so. Yeah. Do you have much I, a feel for it at all yet? I... I, I, I like that I've made a character that I have someone to play. I like that it's done. I like that it's done. <laughs> uh, it was not fun to do. There, yeah. there was nothing fun about writing up the character. It was a drag. It was so much reading. And there was so much reading that I ended up missing things in base text. Because I was trying to skim now, a little bit. Keep in mind, a lot of that is unfamiliarity with the system still. Yeah. Part of it. Part of it, yeah. Part well. of it is. And the fact that they, they, they changed enough. But that's what we're talking about is all of these added options mm-hmm. and all of these extra things. And step upon step upon step. I feel like I need I a mean, pamphlet for you, my character just to describe everything Or how about has. a character generator online that could that, do it for us? That would also be awesome. Yeah, um, now, like... If I had D and D Beyond, <laughs> Richard wants to get a word for this. Yeah. No, I'm good. I I might have enjoyed it more because I did kind of like the I I I didn't mind creating a character with Beyond nearly as much as I right. usually do. A tool that makes the process more streamlined because it said yeah. you need this thing. Pick this one of them. Done yet? Yeah. This isn't done yet. Okay, yeah. now that you've done that, pick this thing. This and you can have this, this, or this. And it was easy to look at and go, okay, I've gotten everything I need, and I didn't miss anything. Even when you had a lot of options, like when you were working on um, your character in the Eberron game, and you you picked an unusual archetype, an unusual subclass for the character, and there was a list of a bunch of them to work with because we had the extra playtest material and stuff on there. Mm -hmm. But having D&D Beyond gave you the ability to look at all that at a glance and just kind of skim through them real quick. And go, oh, that. that looks like fun. To be fair, I wrote up a lot of 5e characters by hand before I had D&D Beyond. Before I realized I was missing certain things and there were certain there were times my characters were missing things cuz I didn't get them written down out of the book. Right, cuz the program so that type of tool it. would help yeah. anyway. But I yeah, no, I missed the hardest part making your character was having to nudge you every now and then get your focus again so I can get an answer from you for the next option we needed to put in. But that's something they're working on. They're they're going to have a character creation tool. Their website uh, not much to it right now. It mm. there's still it's decently done for what's in there. My goodness, it's all together. The beta that we have access to as uh, Kickstarter backers has uh, a, a nice kind of breakdown of uh, you know rules from the books and stuff, and quick access to that information. Which is I cool. can flip pages instead of flipping pages. I don't know if everybody has access to the same stuff because um, some people only backed like the Adventurer's Guide, and I don't know if they have access to the Trials and Treasures stuff in that in that website. See, or not. and that's the question because I don't think I have access to Trial and Treasures. Did you back them all, or did no? You just, I only okay. backed the Player Guide. Okay, that and would, I do see the that Player would answer Guide the question because I have access to all of it on there. But and that would there are that. things in there that are, aren't in the book I have. 
Okay. Well, that's cool. So I don't know if there's a break line where they decide or if maybe this is just a setting that's wrong. Kid Who knows. Do you uh, you have much perspective on this? You didn't make a character for the game because you are running the game. Right. And so I've been diving into uh so you've well, been cramming it. Yeah. Kind of different yeah. different stuff than you guys have in a lot of ways, but I have also been trying to familiarize myself with the system because I wanted, A, to know what uh, the process you guys are going through with your characters is, kind of what your options are. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I have to populate the world with everyone who isn't one of you. Right. So, right. Which, one of the nice things about it is it's modular enough that you don't have to adopt everything from f- from level up in order to make it work. Right. You can use... 5e stuff with it just fine presumably so like even monsters and baddies if you don't have the monster book or don't don't plan to use it or, or, don't, or don't have time to learn what you're looking for when you, you know you can pull stuff obviously from 5e and it's going to work mm-hmm. it may not have all the options but it's going to work you know? but at this i still i still think that some of these options really do guide character creation in a way that creates a stronger character could be um, i i will say the destinies are neat I was surprised by that particular rule by how comprehensive it was conceptually. I could probably come up with destiny ideas that weren't represented there, but even the one that I the idea that I took was one that kind of gave me what I needed. I just had to kind of have my own twist on it, right? My own mm-hmm. take on it, like everything Which, else, of course. But ironically, the flexibility that's there yeah. to do that is ironically exactly. it was it was built to. So mm-hmm. it's like I come on, I came into this I came into this game with a character with I came into level up without having to look at the details of what my options were with the concept already. You know, I had my character in my head. I had my character formed in my head. I, I kind of knew what his personality was like, what his... Not, I did, may not have known exactly what talents or abilities he had because I hadn't looked at the system to see what the options were, but I knew overall what sort of person he was and what that should be able to do for him in terms of his role in a story, which is where I come from a lot of times. It's okay. The closest I came to an idea before we started making a character was a very basic background idea. Hey, I wanted to come from this. And that's it. <laughs> So I built a marshal, which is one of the new classes. I have yet to get a feel for how they really work. So far, we haven't, uh, in our one session we've had so far, we didn't actually have any combat, which is obviously where his talents are going to shine, like any marshal combat for the most part. It's been interesting looking at the marshal because when I was doing my spreadsheet and I was analyzing the different systems the different classes use, the marshal, the biggest thing it has besides you know a fighter core and using combat mm-hmm. not not at the same level that the fighters do right. is the, the fact that it has a followers feature yeah. which comes in later and i'm i'm actually looking forward to kind of playing with that i think that given the kind of the story concept that i had for the character and the kind of the backstory and and uh, where a uh, kid is working with me and with Jason on that in terms of where our characters, you know, kind of come together, that that stuff's going to be really good. You know, yeah. it'll, it'll make sense. Did you look at the Marshall stuff much? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Do you, do you like the way it lays up as, um, it, as it advances or do you get a feel for it? There's a lot that I really want to uh, have the chance to see the working parts, the moving parts. Oh, we'll see them. <laughs> to get a feel, but... Uh, Based off of looking at it and just kind of extrapolating what I see there, I like it. And I'm pretty I'll excited admit, to see it in play. I'm still a little ambivalent, but I liked the concept enough to pursue it anyway because it really, out of all the concepts that are available, all the class options are available, I could have gone a few different ways. Mm-hmm. This is the one that was most suited conceptually to where I wanted the character to come from. But even at that, I the more I dived into because I I made my own little digital character mm-hmm. sheet which is way too complicated for what I actually needed to do, <laughs> but um, 
But you'll want to be able to use it for other characters. I want to be able to use it for other yeah. characters in the system. And uh, I can tell you the multi-classing, the way it meshes spells together, the way it meshes other systems together, the way it meshes even the new Warlock point system versus spell slots, which are interchangeable in a fashion. I mean, look at that. Jeez. It's <laughs> interesting. Warlocks use points, spell points, and if you are a hybrid warlock and other type of spellcaster, you use both. You can actually use any available spell slot for your warlock spells, and you and can spend you, your warlock you points spend to cast points any of your at the same level spells. for the other things. Interesting. Of course, warlocks only go up to fifth level either way, but right, right, right. But it, it's an interesting way that they mix that together. And then I was looking at the math because I was going over the tables about how spell slots advance for the different classes. And it's all formulaic. And so your multi-class, you get so many. If you have two different spellcaster slots, you add up your, your things and follow a different table and you get the same answer. Mm-hmm. Remind me never to multi-class spellcasters because my mind will break. Uh, I, I got you <laughs> it covered. I can very get you much depends it. on which spellcasters you multi-class because some of them are just exactly what you see is what you get. Others very much not. Remind so. me to ask for very specific details <laughs> if I start considering <laughs> but, it. But if you decide on Marshall, you want to go a different route. You can meet somebody, pick up a patron, and and start leveling up in warlock be, and get warlock beautifully. Or if you gain another thing with more combat okay. uh, I, things, your exertion I definitely will still admire, be there for you. I definitely admire solid multi-classing options in the system because I think that gives you so much more versatility and organic versatility with character development, which is cool to me. And the section As a game is master, clear I've always loved and that. concise. That's mm-hmm. nice. And I love that. We'll have to see in in the proof of it think, how balanced I think it's it feels. Only a page and a half. It is really nice, and well, but it covers all the different pieces so far as we've been able to see without testing it, putting right. it, putting it right. through its uh, what's that term? Putting paces. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Now, when you get into the puts. the synergy feats, that's that's a slightly different story. But. <laughs> you know, okay, but uh, in Pathfinder, when the hybrid casts came out, I liked the hunter, and the hunter did a lot of teamwork feats. Well, and to be fair, okay, number one, I have not actually played Pathfinder. I've looked at it, I've read some of the books a little bit, I've never played it, I don't have that experience to compare this mm-hmm. to. Uh, I did extensively play with 3.5, of course, and... I think a lot of the material that I ended up working with was kind of cribbed from Pathfinder because uh, there was just so much material in the open pool of yeah, third yeah, edition third, stuff that all was the floating around out there. Open gaming um, stuff. Yeah. Third party stuff. That's I, never, I never felt like there was too much stuff in my game. And I know some people very much got that feeling back in the days of 3.5 with the well, Some the people still market, do. But some people still do. I mean, they struggle. On it's the, fine. On the side of representing the world, I feel like it's very much a case of you can't have too much stuff because worlds are big places. No one gets to see everything that's in a world. You know, translate that experience into real life. Even the most mega powerful, mega wealthy people traveling the world, doing all this stuff, no, no one's ever going to see everything that's out there. I would add a caveat that, that that presupposes a setting that is the broad world type setting. Because you can make a game that takes place in a much smaller or more limited setting. And ultimately you do. Yeah. Ultimately you have to. Everyone has to. You can't have a Everything game. Everything represented right. right. Yeah. That, 
you know, especially... But you can, uh, I, you can limit options, though, too. And I, I, I feel like game masters get a bad rap sometimes with limiting options because players are used no. to having so much agency now. It, it, it's, it's that, deciding where yeah. to limit your options is one of the most critical things you have to do as a game master. If you just try not to do it at all, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, but often. if you tell me you're yeah. doing a reduced magic world and I'm trying to play a high-power wizard, I'm already messing up. Unless you are the only high power wizard to come of age in this reduced magic and world. That's communication. I've done that before. <laughs> that's communication. That's, that's communicating communication. your expectations and your boundaries between the players and the guy who's it's running like, the no, game. I'm serious. You're going to have a miserable time. You know those spell components? They're not ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. They're not. <laughs> when I ran the Shadowrun short form thing that I did, I had to go into, hey, by the way, the world is collapsing. So if you're doing something that relies on this type of technology, don't. Mm, interesting <laughs> you will have a bad day i'm not saying you can't i'm just saying you will have a bad day and don't blame me for it you can build this character well, you're not going to enjoy the game and even more interesting than that in a way games that don't um have a specific genre built into them and that you can do anything with you often find yourself encouraged to build specific platforms for what you're doing with it if i say i'm running a savage worlds game and that's all i tell you i can't then go so what do you want to play Without any other context. Oh, God, my brain well, I mean, would explode. You can. Right. Right. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, within reason. Well, right. All right. My character is a dark elf. Right. He was born in dark elf family somewhere halfway through his childhood for the short time of the childhood while they're still actually not adults because elves are weird. You heard it here first, folks. Elves <laughs> are weird. <laughs> we know it. We know it. They grow up at the same rate as humans. And then they stop aging, but they're still not considered emotionally mature or mentally mature until a century or two later. Uh, well, by all these standards. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or as we pointed out, I'm not considered mature either. So by any standards. I had to, I had to make sure because it, it, I ended up in a, in a world doing some sort of world building because at that point, I had to make sure that was okay with the GM because... Well. Are yeah. the Dark Elves at all interactive with the up-surface world? I'm saying not a lot, but my parents probably sold me off to some traitors just to get rid of me. I was the 13th son of 16, and I was not the favorite child at all. You sold were number 13. Yeah. I, was a little, I was a little shit. So, I mean, that's, a, that's a thing that, that, Still are. <laughs> that players have to deal with when creating characters anyway, though. I mean, most If a game master likes having players who engage at a level where they build backstory into their characters, then game masters need to be working with those players for that backstory to be material and be viable. Because I want to come up with ideas for my character and then go to the game master and not have the game master go, none of that actually works in my setting. We can't do that. And So sometimes it might be a matter of deciding how much that works. My general rule is to walk in literally as far from that perspective as you can get. It's like, tell me what you want to do with your yes. character. My world will. Unless I, unless I have a very specific game I'm running, that's pretty much my philosophy. It's like, you know, right. bring, bring me your, yeah. your inspired ideas. But then again, also giving them, giving your players content, uh, a place to start, it helps a lot Mm -hmm. because it it creates context for the players to develop that material. Well, and and I did it, I was able to do it narrowly. I I enjoyed the fact that I was able to do it narrowly and say, you know, my family lived on the edge. My family traded with the traders and then traded with people down below that didn't want to have anything to do with the human society. In, in the level up, they actually referred to the Dark Elf influence as Shadow Elf is what they used yes. the term yeah. just to kind of change it up, obviously. 
and not maybe not maybe pigeonholing it. You could use this for Dark Elf, or you could use it for something else. Right. I honestly, the moment I saw that and saw that somebody in my great game would have been interested in that, I might have thought, how can I use that that has nothing to do with the draw? But right. what I did get you from know, in that conceptually is now I have a Dark Elf family that's estranged from me that he can utilize. I have the merchant who got me from the family, and instead of just dropping me off at the first slave trade post, actually took me to a specific church that utilized my talents and made me the person I am today with a little bit of privilege, and I could have led a lot worse life if the trader hadn't taken an interest in me. And this person is still alive in the world. And just as importantly, from my perspective, you have a dark elf who doesn't know the first damn thing about dark elf culture. I know a little bit. You know a little bit about the culture your parents lived in. Which you was don't still have any slightly of, outside of the deep culture right. of Dark Elves. You don't have any way of knowing what, how that compares so, to the rest of your race. Gives your Dungeon Master culture. a lot of room to play with that. Honestly. When I speak yeah. under common yeah. to someone who knows under common, they can <laughs> tell I'm not proficient at it. Well, I'm I'm anxious to see how the game goes, and that I think as we develop, especially as we level characters, we'll get a better idea of what how the system supports that in terms of its layers. But then that that details. That's my question: mm-hmm. is going through the system. Did you feel that the options gave you more ideas into how you're going to create a playable character? Or did it just create a lot of options that made it dizzying? It created a lot of options that made it dizzying that I eventually just kind of swirled around in my head and picked up like four of them and went, this makes sense. Which is kind of what you have to do in a new system. (laughs) A little bit. It was like the ice cream parlor that has 50 different flavors and you're told you can have two scoops. But how's that compared to making a character in Savage Worlds? Savage Worlds has more limited options. It doesn't. It does. It, and on paper, there are fewer options exactly. presented, but well, Savage Worlds is unlimited. Fewer choices. There are fewer choices. Fewer choices. That is going made, to the yeah. ice cream parlor, and you have seven things to pick from, and I can pick a couple of seven. I cannot pick a couple of 50 because I will sit there and stare at the menu for a half hour before I decide of something that may or may not be something I even wanted. Choice paralysis. That's true. I guess it's a small little tree on Savage Worlds, and we're looking at this weeping willow structure for... And and part of my (laughs) thing was that everything in the level up had backstory and reason for it, and I had to read two pages before I was sure if that's what I wanted to do, and it was dizzying. Oh, see, Whereas I just made up backstory and options I liked better if it wasn't what I wanted. (laughs) We used a restaurant analogy earlier, too. If I go to a restaurant that has a 10-page menu, mm-hmm. and it's got everything from Mexican to Italian and... Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, it's it's like tacos on one page and lasagna on the next. What, but, but I just want to... Uh, Which is why oh. you pick your restaurants before you go, obviously. So I would like the meatball taco... Into. Because, you know, fusion. When I go to restaurants that have 10-page menus, I literally limit myself to two pages and pick something from that because I cannot go through all of the pages. Uh, but then again, they you know, those restaurants then section out those pages too. You know, you have pasta over here. You have chicken over here. You have entrees. You have know, specials, you know, all that stuff. And so it gives you directions about where to kind of pull from. But you're so only branch. looking for one or two things. Exactly. But I have to, I have to find way to, ways to set limits on myself. So, Otherwise, I will literally just sit there and So the gaming the menu um, approach like that does require you to uh, cognitively dis- discriminate where you're going to go 
as part of the process. Obviously. But I still had to do that. I had to narrow down right. my culture. And then when I got to class, I, I picked a couple but, of classes, reviewed them, and found the ones I wanted to do. But you and Kid, I bet, are the kind of people that then read through all of your options before you picked something. I actually pick things and then I justified it later by going back through everything. Okay. I was going to say, I don't, I don't do that. I find something that looks good and I don't need to see the 18 options I'm giving up. I don't care. I find this thing that fits my character because I already have them in my head. Which kind of, everything you else know. was justifying, but then I also explored deeper to see what I was missing. And I'm glad I did. There were some things, uh, combat maneuvers, actually everybody has access to zero level combat mm-hmm. maneuvers. Yeah, that was something you brought up. The closest I got to setting up my character before I opened the book was I knew I wanted a cleric. And knowing that, going into it, that there helped. were so many options that I still had to pick. <laughs> It still so took four days yeah. to build a character knowing that I was building a cleric. I mean, before you ever get to class, you exactly. have to decide your culture, your heritage, your background, your destiny. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, present the question. So what are the most vital elements of the role-playing experience for creating immersion? I feel like consistency has to be very much the top of the list for me. Can you expound? I guess one of the things I find to be immersion breaking is developing a expectation of the setting, the character, what have you, whatever element is under discussion. And then there's a skip in the record, you know, someone bumps the CD player, what have you, it breaks my immersion. That expectation fails for whatever reason, and I have to reconnect. Can you think of a specific example? Because you mentioned setting and stuff, and I assume you're still, whether you're talking from the player or the game master perspective, uh, there's obviously, you know, consistency, continuity Mm -hmm. is relevant. Yes. But... I mean, are, are we talking about like moment to moment problems? Like suddenly I bring up something as a game character that has no relevance at all to the to what you expect of my character, that sort of thing? One of the best examples I can think of, and I don't want to point fingers, so I'm not going to, but if anyone feels like there's finger pointing going on, I'm sorry. Uh, players who have anachronistic elements <laughs> as part of their character are a huge issue in shattering immersion for me for that exact reason. What that, do you which mean? makes sense. He's specifically talking about Richard's character, uh, No, was it? Who had yeah. a tendency to bring up um, like Weird OSHA things. violations or something, yeah. He would he would he was playing a character who was touched. And he, would, well, he was touched. Did, he didn't necessarily break the fourth wall a lot. I don't think just a lot of you know, references to something that was stuff that was anachronistic. Well, he Things did break the ideas. fourth wall, but that was all in my head and didn't involve you guys because you guys were on the other side of the fourth wall. But yeah, I mean that's definitely an interesting problem I've I've encountered when things come up that uh, it's like if I was reading a book. I'm sitting here reading the Wheel of Time and suddenly the character starts saying something that is completely contextually modern society instead of the fantasy world they live in. Oh, you mean like saying the word ogre ogre when ogre is not a word in the world? Yeah. Did that bother you? Funny. Did that bother you? Did it break your immersion? It it put it made me pause (laughs) the thing and yell at the television for about ten minutes. Yeah, and that's because in this particular case, that level of immersion was important to you. And that's, you know, because we're talking about something that you're a huge fan of, like Wheel well, of Time. Well, I forgive a million things in Wheel of Time. But it was that one thing is like, wait a minute. You but know how there's do we only know it wasn't a slur? How are you going to say ogre? Because he knows, he has, he has information as a fan of the series. Yes, but within the realm of the TV series, right. ogre might be a slur. Right, they're not clarifying that because it isn't relevant. Just saying. Right. 
never, never been clarified as a slur. It was clarified as a, that's not what I am. I'm actually this. And I'm like, but that's not a thing. And that's not how Robert Jordan writes. Yes. But the, they took out a lot of stuff that was written. I'm just going to point that out. I'm 20 chapters into the book and they covered all of that in one episode. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. Uh, covered as in skipped. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Don't get me started on that one. But that's not, and I don't want to, oh God, do not listen to the show and think that we are bad. We are hard on the wheel God, of time. No, I love Dude, it. That was the only God, thing I, I didn't that like about show. it. Uh, so no the, one has been able to see the cheesy smile that's been on my face this entire conversation. Yeah. But, but no, I, I, I just, I, I play characters. I, I, I am a witty person. I have a brain with a little bit of ADD and my brain runs and I make jokes puns, quips, references constantly in my life, and that's not going to stop just because the game table starts. You do it in character, though. I've I've had many players that do that stuff regularly. Richard, our other Richard, comes to mind. But he was a joy to play with because he never did it in character. I'm not saying you're not a joy to play with Richard. I, <laughs> I have a hard enough time getting into character. Once that's I'm fair. in character, I have to stay in there. That's fair. If you if if I pop out a character, I'm just going to be out of the game. But that's just he was just identifying a thing. It is the question I was asking? What's important for immersion? Continuity. Anything that breaks continuity can break immersion. Now I don't know that it's if the game is if the immersion of the game is so fragile. Well, this is very much a your mileage may vary kind of question. Right. I mean, there's no one size fits all to this sort of thing. And that's what I was talking about, the role playing experience. Right. Right. For me personally, as a role player, consistency is an integral component. It's not the only integral component, but it's one of the first ones that comes to mind. Now, you mentioned that one specifically, though. It comes down to like how other people at the table are treating the game in context with how you treat the game. And really what I'm kind of trying to build is a sense of what we can do as players for ourselves. So, you know, if I have continuity is important to me, what am I doing to promote continuity? You know, what are my options there? Set a clear goal for yourself in advance. Say, for example, the 3-5 game that I'm in, I decided that I wanted to be a Dread Pirate as my prestige class. So I had to decide what my path was to be a Dread Pirate. Arr. Nice. And then why would I want to be a Dread Pirate? Well, Dread Pirate needs a ship. I'm going to be a merchant vessel. Because why not? Because why not? Now, 3-5 allowed for setting prestige classes and stuff like that. Those aren't necessarily Mm -hmm. options in more current game systems. But if I can find something that I can set a goal for... That's another good example, is a lot of the prestige class stuff that was developed over the years for uh, the third edition game, 3.x game, was all very... um, uh, they were built on archetypical concepts and dramatic turns. So you can look at them and go, well, that gives me a direction, a sense of direction with this. I like that because I want to play that concept. If if your prestige class was something like a samurai, that's not where you were prior to that, you're suddenly going, okay, I'm going to move into that direction and become more samurai. Yeah. Uh, Dread Pirate is an interesting example. Yeah, and those aren't necessary because there's nothing keeping me in the game from writing up a samurai or mm-hmm. a pirate. You know, quite the opposite. But having options that kind of give you that groundwork, you know, creates opportunities for you to realize things about your character you might not have come up with. Yes. So I think there's a lot to be said for, uh, well, there we go, back to creating options, right? 
Additional options. Yes, but that started with, hey, I want to do something in Complete Adventurer. There are 10 options in Complete Adventurer. I can right. I can read through a couple of these. Not, hey, here's 70 pages. Good luck. We used to, uh, I mean, even back in like second edition AD&D, they had all the, the kit the splat stuff. Yeah, you know, the it's like, books. here's a book on kits for fighters. And they give you like 18 different variations on a fighter. You can be a gladiator. You can be a Myrmidon. You can be a... You know, it's like all Ooh, these different... I want to be a bloodhound god seeker. What? Is okay. that a thing? No, I don't think so. <laughs> but you can do it if you can come with a way to make the character in the, the, the rules give you reflect some part of your concept or better yet, the initial parts of your concept that you can build into over time. Mm. You know, so I mean, that's that's fair. Um, anybody else have a have an answer for that? The most vital elements of the role-playing experience are creating immersion. From myself, if, if, if we're not talking about outside influences and whatnot. And you can. I wasn't trying to shut that down. I was trying to say what I want to be. I wanted to turn it on its head and make it something we could do actively as well. So reactive, proactive, doesn't matter. Yeah, For myself, one of the most important things is a decent understanding of the system. You know, I don't I don't feel the need to know everything. I've never felt the need to know anything. I'm the guy that's never bought a book. <laughs> that's true. Because I'm not going to read it. I think in we my bought you one time. once, didn't we? <laughs> Somebody did. I don't think... I, it, 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 I, I don't think we ever did, no. That was a 3-5 book, maybe. Yeah. I, th- there, th- there were enough of them on your shelf that I, there was one, there was always one handy to grab. I always used to try to keep a bunch of copies of the player's handbook available, um, which got but, expensive when books got expensive. But it was, it, it's more along the lines of, I should at least understand basically how my player works. Yes. I see what you're saying. You know, I, I need to understand the basics and when I don't and I have to go, okay, so can I do this thing? Gone. Done. Soon as if, soon as I have to ask, can I do this? I'm not immersed. Exactly. That's an interesting point. Because immersion, water, swimming, stuff like that. I dive into the game and I'm swimming underwater to get to the other end of the pool and I'm totally immersed this whole time. And then as soon as I can't do something because I'm not sure... I stop swimming, I gasp for breath, and I have to go to the surface. And when I go to the surface, I shout at the lifeguard, can I do the thing? (laughs) And guess what? Now that I'm at the surface, it's almost impossible for me to get the depth that I got from the dive. Ooh, interesting. Yes, completely agree. 100%. You thought I of that in the middle of that, didn't to, you? <laughs> I, I might be able to get back underwater, but I'm going to be just below the surface in any little thing from that point. Outside, inside, it could be a fly on the wall at this point, and my immersion's going to be broke. So in this case, um, you would say that similarly, uh, reactively, if you're at a game table and there's a prevalence of people not knowing their options or not knowing the rules, it can break immersion because it slows down gameplay. People have that to stop too. and try to figure stuff out or ask questions. And I, I don't ever want to say that there's any, I, I wouldn't suggest there's anything wrong with that, doing oh, that. God, no. But the goal, obviously, at some level, should be for everybody's benefit to get to know your options. And, and some players have a higher level of system mastery. Again, Kid and Richard immediately come to mind than others, in my experience, you know, who get to know what the options are, what the rules are, and how they work. But as players, we need to. Be in the habit of saying, I want my character to do this, rather than, oh, where's the menu? Which options can I do? Right. Which 
oh, okay, I could do a dash, I could do a disengage, I can do an attack, I've got these combat maneuvers, I can shove, I can do... No, I don't Very want to do that. Very good point. I want... What do I want to do? I want to swing from the chandelier. There is not a rule written for that, and if it is, that's not a system I want to play. There's not, a, and there's not an action in the book for it, and that's 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 really good because as a game master, I like to run a game where my players don't have to sit there and think in terms of what the rules allow them to do, but can act and tell me what they're doing, and then we we figure out together how it works if we need to. I I like that list. I like that list in UD Beyond because it reminds me I have things I can do instead of just swinging a sword right. every round. Everybody's always going to forget to taunt in Savage Worlds or aid another in D D. You know. I need to get better in the habit of just saying my character wants to do this. This is my end goal. I want within three rounds to be on the other side of the room and taking out this other person. How can I make that happen? You know, when I talk about the role-playing experience, for some people, role-playing isn't, isn't, uh, isn't as self-immersive because for some people, it is a question of kind of... Um, surface remonstration like I I, uh, I I I make decisions for my character so I'm role playing I decide what they're going to do that is role play and that's part of what I get mm-hmm. into because one of my most memorable immersion experiences wasn't played out directly it was played out almost as a retcon because two weeks ago in Tuesday campaign, my character was looking for magic items he could buy that would either be something for carrying capacity or something for protection. And the magic <laughs> shop owner is like, I've got this and I've got this and I've got this. He's like, no, none of that's what I'm looking for. And I'm like, I'm looking for a bag of holding. And Eric's like, okay, yeah, he has a bag of holding. And then shortly after that, we're like, got this whole scene of, oh, well, none of these will do for you. I am so sorry. And he just starts putting everything back in the sack. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, what's that? That's what I want. Yeah. We didn't actually play that scene, but in retcon, it was so believable that I had to remember that in the next game when people who didn't remember I had got that magic item the week before well, the were characters talking know. about treasure. The, the characters, characters didn't, didn't know, know as well. We do a lot but of that. We're sitting here and they're like trying to figure out how to divvy up treasure and how to carry certain things and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, I uh, I could probably put some of that in my bag of holding. And they're all like, you got a bag of holding? <laughs> yeah. And now I just remember that whole thing of the shop owner pouring that stuff in. That's great stuff too. I, I love how those moments um, refine the, the world building of that scene to create an immersion in the setting, right? Because by the same token, you'll have players who they may know you bought a bag of holding. They were sitting there at the same time at the same table watching you do it. They may even remember they that may you have, have one on your they sheet. They may not have. <laughs> but there are players who will look at you and go, you have a bag of holding? And there's going to be other players who look at you, what's a bag of holding? Which it is not that the player doesn't know. <laughs> You know, a bag of what? We hear that sort of stuff from. I don't even know if I called it a bag of holding. I don't. I don't know. You're just using it as an example. But yeah, because I know when I say bag of holding, for me in my mind, my character is really not saying bag of holding. But it's all. I mean, how you how you present things at the table, and that's that's always a big one for me. How you present things at the table, and how other people perceive that representation is a lot of the role playing experience as well. Because I want the story to stick with me. And I think that's the role playing is to get to the story and to have a good time in the middle of it. And the more commonality you have, the more the people in the the game with you are perceiving 
the same story, although their 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 visuals may be different, or their I mean that's the thing about playing in a game that takes place in the imagination. You know, a lot of those elements may be different: the pacing, the style, the accents, whatever. As long as there is some sort of immersive quality that gives everybody that common ground, then it becomes something real and living outside of just yourself, which is a thing I I relish as a game master seeing in the game. Right. Because I'm trying to uh, paint a brush that everybody gets to enjoy. And that requires me to focus on making sure that everybody can see the painting. Well, and even at that, in my mind, that exact scene happened. There was a counter. Just to the left of it was a place where the shop owner could get it in and out behind the counter, and there was a wall behind him, and the counter went off to the right against to another wall. You probably didn't see it the exact same way I saw it. You may not have even have had a counter. It may have been a table in a bazaar. Who knows? But we had the same similar experience with right. the way the bag went. And I, I For Jason, those I experiences were animated, by the way. Whatever they are. <laughs> <laughs> only in horror like, games. Uh, only in horror games? Only in horror games. It's oh, only so cartoons and horror I, games. I didn't realize that. Wait, so where does my game fall on that spectrum? At the end of the game. Uh, your game looks more like uh, Game of Thrones or Wheel of Time. Not horror enough uh, yet, I'm, apparently. I'm right. I was going to say, I've got you guys it's in a haunted only house. One and session. It's only one session. A haunted house. It had a magic mirror, it has a freezer mirror. It's got freaky stuff, but that's interesting that you say that because I wasn't getting a horror vibe. I was, getting, I was totally getting. There a were elements vibe. of that that I could see now that you say it out loud. You know, uh, with the the things and the, the shadows in the woods and the, you know the chasing. But I, I guess maybe because I was in character and he wasn't getting a horror vibe. The creepy um, lady that's offering food for some reason. I believe right. you mean Draco Lich. I, I don't want you to think I didn't get the experience you wanted. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I'm not dictating. What I you also experience. I'm just creating the background. For me, a lot of immersion, which is a quality I look for very heavily, and people have very different opinions about that, of course. But a lot of immersion to me comes from finding that headspace my character is in and fucking staying there. I was going to say if your if your character doesn't pursue supernatural risks as real to your character it was a dusty old house with some creepy magic items in it well for example from my character's perspective and i have to try to think back because this was last week now but i don't feel like he looked around and saw the unexplained supernatural phenomenon as horrifying he saw them as something that needed to be dealt with so it wasn't a question because in his he does his mind there isn't room for giving into the question of what to do. There was only the matter of creating an opportunity for decisive action that will further our goal, which is getting the fuck out. Because that's what we're going to want to do. From his perspective, that's what we want to do. Now, he's also got this this adventurous enough spirit that I'm trying to blend into the character at the same time to where when, obviously, we're not getting the fuck out immediately, well, exploring the house isn't a bad idea. You know, doing doing the thing that's that's dangerous because it's also a little bit thumb in the nose at the authority. But it isn't about establishing that. It's just habit for him. Thumbing the nose at his dad's authority any way he can without his dad watching is actually a big one for him anyway. It's kind of become which, part of his which perpetual your, background noise. Your yeah. brother followed in your footsteps. The uh, moment you left the room and you started eating the plate that you were going to have so, Thumbing from. his nose at my authority? <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, that, that feels natural for our relationship too, such as it is. I mean, we don't have much to work with yet. You know, Jason, I've just started playing these characters. We haven't had a lot of discussion, but, except for a couple of like, them together. Yeah. you know, back and forth kind of conversations about kind of moments or things between them. That's got to figure out. I like moments. I like, I'm there to have fun and I'm there to experience the story. So far, if we're, I'm not doing either. Doing good with your game, so I am going to be somewhere else. 
<laughs> I liked the magic mirror personally. Seeing the the compatriot that we had that wasn't actually with our party was super like freaky for my character because it has an ability to see everyone within sixty feet, mm-hmm. even through walls. Oh, I see and then saying. she she could see her but not feel her, and then that was sensor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that extra sensory thing in my characters is like, but where are they? <laughs> And then when the character actually shows up later. Yeah. The the whole thing about the person who touches the mirror losing a chunk of their finger when they pull it back because it froze to the mirror, that added horror vibes. That was pretty freaky, actually. Was that Jonica? Yes. I was about yeah. to say, I don't remember who touched the mirror. That was pretty freaky. Jonica touched the mirror. Okay, that makes sense. She lost some skin. Mm-hmm. It's just like when you touch your tongue to a flagpole. Yeah, yeah I haven't done that in a while. Any, I I did that a lot, but I was in Wyoming. Any other um, role playing experience? Let's see, most vital elements of the role playing experience are creating immersion. No, I think we hit all of my points. <laughs> Sorry, um, uh, emotion is a pretty big one. In a lot of cases, I know I'm. I don't know I'm immersed because it's it's a state I slip into, right? And being aware of it is in itself breaking it. But I will know I'm immersed without breaking that sensation when I am feeling my character's emotion. And I I have gone plenty of sessions playing plenty of characters that I'm really solidly connected to without ever reaching that point where where my character's feelings are a thing that I am aware of. Because that's something that's going to come and go anyway. Obviously, the game, the table experience. When it happens, that is absolutely my favorite part of gaming. And when something breaks that, that is really fucking annoying to me. That's where it becomes closer to reading a book or, you know, or watching a TV show that you're really invested in. Where, where something has grabbed your imagination and you become a part of it. You're drawn into the narrative in a very visceral way. And that's part of what I, I, I enjoy finding in the, the immersive role-playing experience. And it's hard for me to get that in a combat scenario. Because it, it breaks everything up the way it does. It, it does happen on occasion, but I've, I've discovered that the more you know, your combat takes 20 minutes to get around the table for each person to get their turn the harder that is for that to actually be an immersive experience. Uh, you you tend to run combats, though, that will very much pull people in, and I am sitting there just as riveted in what Jason's character is doing and then what Rich's character is doing and then what, you know, as I am in what my character is going to be doing when my turn comes back. We around. were talking about my game, so Vanessa's character was dying. I know she didn't bring it up. I, I skipped over that part, but that was only at multiples of three. At yeah, levels yeah. two and four, she was yeah, fine. Yeah, good call. <laughs> Thanks. But yeah. It, yeah. it's hard mm-hmm. to it's hard to do. And uh, getting back in the DM seat and running a game for the first time in too long—that is one of the things I am most nervous about. It's why there were no combat sequences in our first episode, quite honestly, because I'm not yet sure I'm ready to try and do that. I'm okay with that, because I don't know how we, combat's actually going to work for my character. We're still establishing still our characters, D&D. and <laughs> I, I... I don't think you realize how little I attack think stuff needed, I have. <laughs> we needed characters, because movies start slow. Mm-hmm. They start slow because you need to do some character building before you start throwing the big bat in there. And but when building. they start too slow, we will sit there and bash on pace on pacing, and you guys will start cutting out stars. True, but this is not a movie. This is a miniseries. This isn't That's even true. a miniseries. Apparently, this is supposed to be a lifelong commitment. It's also collaborative, Sorry. which means you don't have control over a lot of these. And That's one of the reasons I want to focus on what we can do to contribute on our own, because... 
you are responsible for your own enjoyment of any activity you are trying to get pleasure out of. You are not responsible for anybody else's. I, I realize that people may disagree with me in, in certain um, venues. But you can't but, hinder other people's enjoyment either. Well, right. Well, you can. That's the problem, right? Yeah. It's a, and part of the but, thing is we're all supposed to kind of be here for everyone else as well. So you yeah, may not part have of the, part of the premise, but I, I, part of our social contract is I want everybody to have a good time. Right. You, the yeah. player, have to be aware of the other character's motives and goals and be aware of how your character fits in or doesn't with them so that you're not defeating the other characters from reaching their goals needlessly. But your character's not necessarily always helping them with their goals. Interesting point. Because your character is its own character. But you as a player need to be aware of where that line is and when it is. And if you are in direct conflict with that other character, you need to be aware with the other player. You and the other player need to have some sort of understanding, understanding communication is, that yeah. this disagreement is part of the story. And, and we, we see that. And we see that in our group uh, occasionally. It's, it's something that it can play very powerfully into the drama of the of a story, character story. In a campaign, Vanessa and I had characters that just my character was a little bit chaos and flighty and her character was a little down to earth and straight centered and they didn't care for each other. My character antagonized her character and her character antagonized my character. We Are had you a great about time playing Sky? at the Black Rocks. Yeah. 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 I put wax in my ears so I didn't have to listen to you. I, I like to play characters with a little bit of crazy because it's what I know. So th that's an interesting point. If As long as you are able to, and one of the advantages of that is you are able to contribute to the story meaningfully because you're drawing other people in with you with, with everything you do for yourself. And so when I'm playing that game with you, I get drawn into your story the same way I hope you can get drawn into mine. Because it's not just about my story. Right. It is partly about your story. And I have to be aware of what's going on with that and how it affects me. But I also have to find that line. So the, the last thing I kind of wanted to talk about um, was conversation, because I think that a lot of people um, conflate role-playing with conversation, because role-playing is talking in character, right? Right. And people have different levels of this. Some players are very passive about it. I will say, well, she is going to tell you about her younger brother and that he died and how tragic it was and sad. She doesn't want to talk about it that much, but she's sad and you can tell. That's role-playing. Another player might be like, well, I had a really difficult time with this situation because my brother died when I was young and then I'm going to tell kid the whole story about it and how, you know, and I can give you that backstory if you want. Or, I don't know. I mean, you, there's definitely different ways you could, different levels you could take it to and um, yeah, nothing's wrong with any of it, right? Now, the more those elements kind of coalesce around each other at the table, the more successful that immersive experience is going to be. If you have players with very different role-playing styles at the same table, they have to be able to accommodate that in their, their perspective, you know, the way they grasp that. Because you get the guy that does the, the very specific voice and is very much in character and is emoting and experiencing emotions. And then you get the guy who has no interest in that level of involvement and just wants to talk about his character in third person. At the same table, they're going to have very different experiences. It doesn't mean they can't have a game together. But can they both be immersed in the, in the same play? game? And, in the same game. And I left... In the same scene. I left a game server. It was a text-based RPG. And I left the server because somewhere some factions decide they want more role play. 
And so I was getting called out by moderators because I wasn't always speaking in character when I was just chatting with people and having fun in the system. And I was like, you know what? I can't do this. I'm out. Here's the password to the server. Uh, you're going to want to move that somewhere else because I'm not going to pay for that anymore either. There, there's uh, and that's another thing too. It's like you you had a financial investment, a different level of investment. You know what you're doing. There's uh, a quality of how how deep do you get right? Because if you have a group of people, and you're more likely to find this the smaller group you get. If you have a group of people who have the same level of immersion they want, and it is something that isn't necessarily what we're used to. But it works for them. And I have had gaming experiences like that. I, I can immediately think of Jacqueline and Elidian mm-hmm. and that experience because those characters oh, were so were so deep for us that it was actually getting difficult separate not difficult separating reality from fantasy, but but difficult not thinking about them and what they were going through mm-hmm. at odd times. And and we were kind of on a different level than other players at the same game. Right, you and and I don't remember who else would, you know, um, our, our other friends who were mm-hmm. you know, more deeply involved with it. But, uh, you know, we also, uh, Kid and I were also playing characters who were romantically involved. And staring down the barrel of an eternity together if they could get yeah, everything to fall into place together. Changeling, stuff like that. And so, I mean, it was it was very, um, it, was, it was both heartbreaking and very powerfully emotive. And it worked for us, but it was hard to pull away from it. Oh, and they were also part of a goth metal band. Yeah, that was great, though. <laughs> I still want to write an opera about it. I got an idea. Um, <laughs> You know, but figuring out ways to engage with that is, is important in, in ways that work for you and don't turn off other people. Because if you're that group of people that gets heavy into the drama and don't pull my focus and, you know, then if you got two or three other players in the group and you two, you guys are the ones role playing together and you're fine with that, you're fine with that. But don't expect me to be all melodramatic and serious every time I come over here and walk away without feeling like I want to drink myself into oblivion when I get done so I don't have to deal with these feelings. Right. On the other hand, I mean, if I'm having a good time and I get my hand slapped because I'm having a good time, I'm going to feel limited in future turn on interactions. And and turn off, slap my hand because I'm having a fun. I'm having fun. Yeah, doing the thing we're supposed to be doing together. Yeah. So, (laughs) and and, and some of you can say that's a social contract issue, but I think it's worth bringing up just because a lot of times that's not something that you can. It develops organically. Your level of involvement as a group develops organically. I mean, that's part of the process, right? We find out whether we're good gamers together, you know, and if it isn't the right group for you, if you're not in a group that works for you, GTFO, find another group. I mean, it's getting easier nowadays than it used to be. You know, it used to be, I'd say that anybody living in a small town back when I started the podcast, anybody living in a small town? Well, I game with the only other gamers in town. I'm fucked. Eh, a little less the case now, but yep. There's always not the to say that there aren't people who are still going to be in that situation. Sure. Yeah. Or, or for any but other number of reasons. But you, the only other alternative is no longer play by mail. Right. That's we have other options. That's true. Sites you can go on and video game with anybody. I appreciate the vote of confidence, but I did not start the game in 1984. <laughs> just, just start the the podcast. I mean, in 1984, I mean, we've been doing it a little while longer than play by mail being the only option. Just but saying that in a if small you have town, the ability to listen to this to podcast, be, that is not your only option. That just used say. to be the only option was play by mail. That's crazy talk, isn't it? Crazy talk. And I've I've played a couple of play by emails. Play by emails. Slow and trudging. PBM. Mm. Uh, Sounds tedious. 
So it, it was uh, fun when it was done right. So conversation is, uh, I think, an important option when you're doing any kind of role playing. You want the ability to share ideas mm-hmm. that can create that can, that can be uh, dialogue. It can be used to create drama. It can be used to create action. You know, um, I it can be used to get other people to act on your your goals. You know, it can um, be used to create a cohesive direction for a party. For example, my paladin has this tragic backstory. I don't necessarily talk about it a lot, but at some point I want as a player to have the opportunity to bring it up in a way, maybe at a somber moment when we've just, we've just been through something or some, you know, we're, we're trying to, we're remembering a fallen comrade or something like, you know, um, I wanted to be able to use this opportunity to share this part of my backstory that I'm hoping gets you guys on board to engaging my backstory idea that goes down, you know, you know, we're going to, we're going to go stop the guy that did the thing. Yeah, I, I, assuming the game master's on board. <laughs> but I, I surprised the game master with it, and he had none of that in his plan to save the world from the pirates. But, and so, but my MacGuffin. <laughs> yeah, something maybe you, you could have talked about beforehand if it, for the greatest amount of success. Are, are we at that point where we have an airship and we can go do all the side quests that we left undone <laughs> earlier before we find the final bad guy? Uh, no. Uh, so I'm renaming the airship Bodie McBodie Face. One of the interesting things. <laughs> <No. laughs> Wow. Um, nice pull. One of the uh, interesting uh, options you have is to create dimension in that immersion, that immersive experience through conversation. But creating conversation can be tough. And uh, it, too often when I see it at the table, it's something that somebody has planned out because that's the only way to do it. Or it's something that's organic, has no direction. William is the master of that. He's not really on the show much anymore. Obviously, hasn't been for a while. He's no, that guy who he just stays that. in character. And you get to that point where his character decides he's going to talk about a thing, and he just goes on talking about it for no reason whatsoever. It's just because it's a moment in character, which is fine if it's five minutes. Not fine, William, if it's an hour and a half. Oh, a short session. I, I know you're going to be. I say you're going to be. I know William. And I'm just picking on it because it almost sounded just like, like that was a like William. I think it's great that we uh, talked about both William and Richard in the same show. Yeah, I miss them. I miss, I miss gaming them with them. I do too. Uh, yeah. So one of the things that I think is fun is to try to find ways that you can create dialogue or moments in the game that don't necessarily require you to have a specific agenda, but still have the potential to create action. One of the best ways for that is the opportunity to share backstory or personal motives or involvements, but without waiting for it to come up. Because here's the, here's the problem. It's too often when you when you ask for icebreakers online for like gaming and so because I've seen these conversations. Oh, yes. The answers you get are all things like, well, ask about blank. We're sitting at the fire. We've had a rough day. We're bedding down for the night. Hey, uh, a brick. So what is it? How, how did you get that sword? What is it? You know, you, or you, do you have, you know, is there anything specific you like about, or, you know, it's these questions, which Open are supposed to create questions, right? Which are supposed to create <laughs> content. Don't create anything because then you have a player who either has an answer and it goes nowhere, or you play, have a player who doesn't have an answer and then feels pressure to come up with one that doesn't really have anything to do with that character, yeah. or they would have already had an answer. Hey, Brick, why is purple your favorite color? Now, that's more fun, but... <laughs> not not progressive. <laughs> but but in, in the Level Up campaign... He's got a choice to yes and that or not. <laughs> right. My new character, instead of having a story I'm going to pull through as much, one of his traits is the fact that he is a, he is a trickster, 
And so I'm going to have to come up with ways to make interesting pranks to happen in the party. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be an engagement. Mm. I'm hoping more of them are out the, outside the party and the party has to deal with the fallout than inside the party where we have to not kill you. But there's going to be Don't a little bit. Ideas. The, the point is I should never be doing it to the point oh. where you want to kill me. No, the ideas are fun. I like giving people ideas. Although so you, not the player. Given the fact <laughs> that my character is really good friends with your brother, mm-hmm. you are going to be the butt of some of those jokes. Uh, okay, as long as it's not My character's good. pride can be a little prickly. So You are going to curse my name. Um, also, <laughs> although he's a, a good-hearted person, he might kill you. Yeah, <laughs> so I get that. I thought you were going to go with, although he is a good-hearted person, he does do lethal damage. <laughs> I, I think your brother's going to have to remind you multiple times that I only pick on you because I like you. And I'll be like, oh yeah, that's why. <laughs> yes, I don't particularly care for the way he's showing his affection, but you, <laughs> you may let him up now. <laughs> So, I mean, that's an interesting point, and that's really a really good way to kind of build your character's premise into the action that you're looking for, or the opportunity you're looking for to engage, because you're actually talking about engaging on a whole other level. Because it's point. a physical characteristic well, right. instead of a, a discussion characteristic. Right, right, and it, it, and it can lead, one can lead to the other, obviously. <laughs> I think we've kind of left the realm of icebreakers once initiative is rolled, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Even well, if initiative is rolled for reasons that don't necessarily have to do with lethal combat. I thought initiative was the ice. Turn-based <laughs> order. Um, Roll charisma initiative. Right. All right, I still get a plus eight. So, Oh, no, my charisma is just plus seven. I mean, so anytime somebody asks you, you know, how... <laughs> What's your favorite color is, uh, you know, because my my when when my daughter was 10, this was her her way of creating conversation. Dad, what's your favorite color? And I'm sitting here going, oh, if I go red, she's going to go, oh, OK, I didn't know that. End of conversation. We didn't gain anything from this. She didn't become a deeper person of it. I didn't become a deeper person over it. What's your favorite pizza topping? My Lord, prithee, what is a pizza? <laughs> uh, <laughs> goblins. <laughs> what's your what? favorite goblin topping? <laughs> Sprinkles. Pepperoni. <laughs> What's weird question? When uh, when our daughter was three, her favorite thing, her favorite game to play was, so how are you? And no matter what your answer to that question is, the next question was, so do you want to talk? No matter what your answer to that question was, the next question was, so how are you? Mm. Rinse and repeat. I know and people like have conversations like that in real life. That's exactly where I was going with that, actually. Because... There are people who think that that is the role-playing part of your role-playing game, is a conversation exactly like that. I have been in, I have been at tables okay. with some of them. And here's an interesting point, right? In order to keep role-playing, conversational role-playing from being a distraction or a, an uh, roadblock, mm-hmm. an obstruction, you need to create moments with it, like we were talking you know, so you have to be, you have to have a certain level of brevity. You have to have a point to it for the most part. I mean, you don't, you don't have to, but if you're not going to, end the conversation with the second question. You know, you, you don't really have anything to gain by pushing. If it's just characterization, okay, be in character. That's as far as it's going to matter, so don't be in character for 15 minutes over it. I was like to say, is it still a rule that during one turn of initiative, we can't have more than 20 minutes of dialogue? <laughs> Something like that. It's more of a suggestion. <laughs> Guidelines. <laughs> Unless you're monologuing. One of my oh, well, yeah. one of my favorite things is to recognize that most people when they're look when they're just dealing with organic situations of brotherhood or, or you know, dialogue, don't start by asking questions to garner random information or to learn more about a person. 
sometimes if you're in a situation like you're at a dinner party and the whole job is to break the ice, you may do that. Yeah, a different story. They call that small talk for a reason. It is fucking boring. If you are in a situation where you're hanging out with people that you're hanging out with regularly, we're sitting there. I'm going to start the conversation with, I never thought this is the way I was going to spend my summer. Because it then creates dialogue around that, you know, I... Huh. Or at least the options for it. Right. I mean, I, nobody may bite. I just fine. look over and go, hi. How did you think you were going to spend your summer? <laughs> well, a lot less blood. Well, yeah. a lot less Virus mud. It's a weird this time exactly to bring it up. the way up. I thought you were going to spend your summer. <laughs> but I know what you did last summer. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> See, and then that was a real world. <laughs> my immersion is gone. Thanks. <laughs> I you broke him, Richard. <laughs> I'm sorry. There was hay that needed to be bailed, and I had the bailer. That was one of the things I thought I'd like call back to, to the movie. I'd like to be able to, I mean, we're going to wrap up and go along, but uh, one of the things <laughs> I wanted to be able to discuss, well, we haven't we haven't been doing, like, weekly shows lately. I was going to so. say, and I thought we had nothing to talk about. Oh, always. I always wrong. have nothing to talk about. We never have nothing to talk about. You know, like I said, my follow-up was about how these qualities enhance or disrupt the gaming experience overall when it comes to conversation and, and, and breaking the ice. I think what I'd like to be able to do is offer people perspective on how they can utilize these tools to create character, to create immersion, to to build on who they are. When you see two characters in a TV show have a conversation about something, occasionally it is flippant. And often you feel, if you really are starting to analyze things at all, that that was an unnecessary scene. Usually, exposition. usually there's a point. Really? Exposition's a point. That's You're fine. Like, oh, somebody had to make the episode five minutes longer. Weird. Yeah, and, and I mean, and if, you know, uh, you can always improv that too. You know, I didn't know how I was going to spend. How did you think you were going to spend your summer? Well, I didn't think I was going to spend it hanging priests on posts outside the town. Why did we do that? You know, it's like, <laughs> well, to be fair, they were like you know zombies. They Are tried to sure? kill you first. Is that why they tried to eat me? I was really curious about that. One drooled here. Is that is that itch means something? Can you take a look at that? Yeah, I'm yeah, kind of worried about yeah. that. Um, yeah. The whole arm will have to come off. Sorry. <sighs> yeah. Roll initiative. Uh, so <laughs> if you have anything you'd like to add to this conversation, we'd love to hear from you. I, I, I think it's an interesting topic. I, I think there's a lot more to uh, explore in it, but it's there's only so much we can do from a kind of a static point on a podcast. Uh, if, you'd, if you have uh, stories of your own to share or ideas you'd like to express, let us know. Feedback at prismaticsunami.com. Best way to do that or drop by our Discord server and have a conversation with us there. Link is in the show notes. So I'm going to go ahead and let everybody go and move on with our day. Um, i gotta, I got to do a brief run to pick Jonica up so we can do some gaming. I think that'll be a good time. Everybody ready for gaming? Yeah. Yeah. As ready yeah. as I'm going to be. Yeah. I've, I've definitely talked about my character. I'm Game Master, you look... Uh... <laughs> well, I'm remembering that uh, I had told a couple players I needed to get some time with them alone before next session. I completely forgot to ever make sure that happened. It's going to take me some time to Oops. go get Jonica. <laughs> yeah, that's true. that's true. You should ride with us. There you go. Uh, okay. Not alone. Yeah, that oh, could oh, be no, fun. alone. You together. and I would still. Well, not that kind of alone time. Uh, good to go ahead and bow, bow, bow. Thank you very much for joining us for episode number. I don't know. I haven't even looked at it. Uh, In Slack episode number. Breaking the ice. Well, my name is Eric. I'm Jason. I'm Rich. Vanessa. I'm the Q. Wow. Yes, you are. <laughs>